Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 114. My guest this week is Liz Milani. She is a writer and seeker committed to helping people discover a daily practice of simple, meaningful, cliche-free spirituality so they can live fulfilling and courageous lives. You may know Liz's work from The Practice Company. She's a very popular Instagram as well as an app. And I had a really delightful time in this conversation. It was so refreshing to connect to someone who grew up closer to home. Liz is from Australia and uh, who has journeyed in and out of church and is pursuing uh, authentic, holistic spiritual practice. So really, really enjoyed this. We talked about connecting with our bodies, connecting with God, uh, deconstructing, reorienting ourselves to a spirituality that doesn't leave collateral damage in its wake. So really, really commend this interview to you. As always, check the show notes for links to resources that we talk about. And at the end of the show, I will make reference to those things as well. Here we go. Liz Milani, I am thrilled to welcome you to the podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's morning for you and evening for me. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I'm so glad to be here. So we have just spent the last like 20 minutes kind of touching base and laughing at how similar our journeys are in a lot of different ways. I have just been following you on Instagram for a little while, but really enjoying what you're putting out there. Uh, I would love to hear a bit of your journey because like in flavor, you've got like a lot of Morgan Harper Nichols kind of poetry and reflections. You've got touch points with like Andy Culber and this embodiment and kind of gentle trauma aware stuff. And then there's like, there's all these like, just really gentle, gracious spiritual practices. So I was just so <laughs> thrilled to discover you. I'd love to hear Thank you. a bit about how, 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 you, how you would describe yourself and what space you see yourself occupying. And then a bit of how, uh, how you got here. Thank you. Um, those kind words are so beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I would, I see myself as somebody who works um, in spiritual practice and the great goal of my work, of the reason why I do what I do, is I want to be a friend, help people um, create their own spiritual practices that connect them to themselves, which then connects them to the God in all. And um, that's quite simply, you know, what I, what I try to do. I try to help people see their own goodness and that they don't need they don't need to climb to the mountaintop. <laughs> they don't need to sacrifice everything and everyone and all of it to meet with the divine, to have that touch point, that connection with the something that is in them but is also beyond them. Yes. And I think I got here because, you know, I, we were chatting before and our paths are quite similar, um, but I grew up a pastor's kid in a fundamental Pentecostal environment here in Australia. And was consumed with that environment. I lived and breathed it. And, you know, from there I went to Hillsong Bible College, if I can say that on air, 
if not, edit it out later. But I went to Bible college, became a pastor myself and was just totally engrossed in the culture of all of that. At the same time, I found more and more that I had to abandon myself, uh, my body, Mm. my deep sense of authenticity to continue to hold up the values of the institution that I was representing to the point where, you know, my husband was also on on staff as a pastor in a church that we were serving at uh, to the point where we could no longer, the friction within ourselves was so great that we had to, we had to quit. When we quit, we didn't know this was seven years ago. Gosh, I hope I'm making sense. Absolutely. But um, (laughs) when we quit, we didn't realise what was actually happening in our hearts. We just felt so tired and dry and nothing was working. We had two little kids in, you know, at home and um, the spiritual, our spirituality was just not there. So we would get up and preach on a Sunday and help people. And it was literally like having an out-of-body experience. Mm. And we didn't know until we quit that what was actually spiritually happening in us was the beginning of a deconstruction um, season or a faith transition season, a disorientation, whatever label that. And I know there are lots of different ways people describe that. But we really had a reckoning with the faith that we were peddling, that we were upholding. And that took quite a few years to dismantle. And in some ways, we're still dismantling it. But I found myself in this beautiful place of reconnecting to my spirituality by reconnecting to my body, my spirit, um, my sense of self, and finding God right in the middle of all of that. Yes. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, like, it's so funny. I can relate to so much of that. I, I remember just being like, I feel like this is a machine and I feel utterly dehumanized. I feel like I've been turned into a cog that fits somewhere mm-hmm. in the machine and there's no room for humanity. I've been thinking recently, I wonder if it's different or worse when we're serving on staff than perhaps being a average congregation member? Yeah, good question. I know a lot of people who are still involved in the church that we were a part of and they really enjoy it and that's great. (laughs) I don't know too many people. Like when we left, it only took 12 months and all of our friends that we were serving with left as well. Mm. Um, And I just don't know... I think maybe the congregation enjoys the show and yeah. that's what they're used to seeing and that's what they're, you know, that's what they enjoy. Right. Um, but I think for the staff and the, even the volunteers, and I'm speaking generally too now because, um, you know, I did go to a big Bible college where the, the students were the volunteer um, pack Yes. you know, uh, that put on conferences and all of these kinds of things. We worked bloody hard and got no sleep and worked ourselves sick to do these things. And I just, looking back now, I can't see. At the time, I was like, you sacrifice everything for the kingdom, right? You lay down your life for the sake of the call, like, like a good Christian soldier. But now since deconstructing and understanding a little bit about how the Bible was written, who wrote it and who it was written to, and what's happened to it since it was written, I understand more now and have a have a ways to go in my understanding of it, that a lot of that rhetoric 
about being a good Christian soldier and sacrificing is actually the rhetoric of colonisation and the rhetoric of, oh, geez, did we go there? The rhetoric of, you know, white <laughs> Eastern European um, people appropriating the gospel and using it to serve their own needs. And a lot of the time I see that happening in the church now too, that people are a means to an end. Yes. Their collateral damage is acceptable. It's an acceptable part of the process. But when you take all of that off the gospel and you actually look at it, I think one of the messages of Jesus that is confrontingly clear is that, um, oh, what did I say? It's confrontingly clear is that collateral damage is something that should not be tolerated in any environment and space. Come on. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, a, a lot of the time I think congregation members may not understand what's going on behind closed doors, but I think once you get involved on any level in these kinds of mega church environments that are all about putting on a service, um, you'll they'll start to see the cracks. But it's like anything, you know what it's like. Um, you can stay blind to those cracks. I stayed blind to those cracks for so long and tried to convince myself that I was doing the right thing. I was doing what I was called to do. And it took, honestly, Jonathan, it took the dismantling of my health. <laughs> um, and I had this, have this really clear memory one day of coming home from a meeting a staff meeting and looking in the mirror and just not even recognizing who I saw. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the heck am I doing? Um, yeah. Sorry. I know I just went around the whole <laughs> rabbit trail then. No, it's so, it's so real. It's so real. And thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. Pleasure. The number of people that I know serving in ministry who have had to leave who have gotten sick, whose bodies have mm. broken down, and often in yeah. weird ways, right? Like uh, a dream. Very strange ways. What is that? Yeah. All these kinds yeah. of things where the body is essentially just like no more. I, I can do no can't more do of, of whatever yeah. this thing is. And I, because I, I still serve in church and I'm, and I'm part of a movement somewhat. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's so, it's so interesting because, you know, I have pastor friends, and I'm on a pastoral team, but I have folks who will sit down and they will hear some of these conversations, and they will just be like, we're just sick and tired of hearing you people rag on the church all the time. And I'm yeah. kind of like, well, hold like hold on. If if you if you are in your body, mm -hmm. you are thriving, and you are not dehumanizing other people, and you have peace and wholeness in your life and you're in church fantastic absolutely hang stick around and do your thing <laughs> but i feel absolutely. like it, the people <laughs> who keep coming out of the woodwork to me are the ones saying oh my god thank you i didn't know this was a thing what you were yeah. talking about i didn't realize there was a conversation of that you know uh, and they feel so seen and validated which is why yeah. I ask you to share your story because it's so mm -hmm. life-giving to people that are in that space going, like you said, you didn't know what it was, right? You, we didn't know. What yeah. is this? 
we didn't know and that's why I'm so happy to talk about it because and a lot (laughs) because I just find it so rampant uh, amongst people who've served long term um, and even you know as a vocation on a church staff and I remember when we quit we didn't know what it was we didn't know what was happening to us and it was terrifying and we felt so alone we had no language for it I had so many questions and I didn't know where to put them and so we left um, our positions on staff and subsequently our church in April and then come October of that same year I remember Jesse and I my husband we sat down it was his birthday and we found the liturgist podcast this was going back seven eight years ago and it was the first time we heard somebody outside of ourselves articulating what we'd been through and I just remember in that moment like crying we both sat on the couch drinking wine with candles everywhere (laughs) bawling our eyes out going we're not alone we're not bad people because I know that the rhetoric around people who leave church and who have these kinds of experiences are extremely unhealthy and I had that playing in the back of my head too like am I a Jezebel Am I a woman gone wrong? I've never, I've never wanted to disappoint people. I've always wanted to do the work of Jesus. And um, hearing that episode was everything to us. So I'm very happy <laughs> to talk about it as much as I can and normalize it. And for, for, for people who work in church now in healthy environments, I find those churches tend to be a lot smaller and a lot more holistic. And I'm all about it. I think that that's fantastic. And I will champion that spiritual, that faith community where people can come together and share their spirituality in a holistic and authentic authentic sense. So I'm definitely not anti-church, but I am anti um, the idea that I'm probably anti-megachurch, if I'm going to be honest, or, you know, have very strong feelings and very um, a lot of trepidation around that kind of event-driven, bring in the masses, you know, even even making salvation, uh, put your hand up and say a prayer. Like, because I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures, but that is what salvation is and that that is what, you know, is the pinnacle of success for a church environment. I think the pinnacle of success for a church environment is to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to dance with those who dance. So like that, that kind of thing is to be with each other, to show up to each other, in the world, in our lives, as they are, Come on. to encourage each other for love and good works. That's what I see should be the pinnacle of any faith community. And to, and to a sense, the Practice Co. is an online faith community of sorts where that is our kind of goal or a value of ours. Gosh darn it, Liz, it sounds to me like you're preaching the gospel. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> This is what's so fascinating to me is that the the more that I journey with this stuff and the deeper it gets into my bones, the freedom and the love, I find myself going back through scripture now because it's been quite a journey, quite a while for us now. I I find myself going back to scripture and I'm like, hold on a minute. This Bible is actually really great. It's just been used so terribly. Like, I'm like, being co opted. Realize this. I just just last week I stumbled across like, and I mean, I was a past missionary kid, and I I get it. Like wow. I grew up in church. I know my Bible front to back, and I 
recently stumbled upon <laughs> this verse in Samuel buried deep in this like ragey story where it says, because God doesn't want anyone to perish, he is constantly devising ways to save people. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And yet we box it. I mean, you guys, yeah, it's so good. Oh. You could have majored on some different constantly, constantly devising. coming up with schemes of redemption. Oh, it's so good. And that's that's the that's the schism I find is that we make redemption. We at large, redemption is seen to be this, you know, one plus two equals three it's done this way it's only done this way this is the pathway you say these words you do this you don't do that tick 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 and there's no nuance there's no individuality about it there's no grace like it's it's preached at as grace but it's not you know it's come as you are as long as it's like this and you end up in this place as long as it's white and as long as it's cerebral and yeah. as long as it's uh, assented to the pop, to the proper beliefs, and yeah. and most people are not going to admit to that, right? But when you boil it no. down, that's what we've ended up with. With uh, and yeah. and I I heard an Orthodox uh, Eastern Orthodox priest recently say, basically, you guys are just Gnostics, right? You you're, you've just built yeah. a system of secret knowledge. And that's what gets you saved is, is your secret knowledge that you have climbed the ladder to attain and you must obviously protect it. And, <sighs> and so, I mean, it's, it's no wonder, certainly here in North America, we see, I see a lot of folks rediscovering church through, uh, through the Anglican church, the Episcopal church, Catholic church, a lot more where there's more space for embodiment. All the senses yes. are welcome. And that's not to say yes. that those uh, those denominations and parts of the church don't have issues and their own stuff. problems yes. and their own stuff, right? Like the grass, the yes. grass is always greener. There, there are problems yes. everywhere. Um, yeah. Do you do you find in Australia the work that you do now? Okay, I'm going to throw, okay, I don't have a very concise question, which is usually my problem. No, so but it's good. Things at you, and you can respond okay. however it fits. So I'm ready. I've got a lot of family and friends and followers in Australia, and they often say to me, they do not use the label Christian to describe themselves anymore, because at least in, yeah. in Oz, especially in the spaces that they inhabit, if someone hears they are a Christian, what they hear is, oh, hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm a bigoted, homophobic, legalistic, gun-toting asshole. And so they don't use the word Christian to describe themselves anymore. Yeah, um, 100%. <laughs> at the same time, I know, at least historically, growing up in New Zealand, it felt like things like emotional wholeness and presence and contemplative practice that shit was weird, man. Just play rugby and be a man. So <laughs> so funny. Sorry, keep going. Anyway, so there's a so I'm I'm wondering how this lands and this work that you do and the, your journey, how it lands in the culture, how you feel about being Australian in terms of your Christian background, but as well as in terms of like the bodyment and, and practice work that you do. It's such an interesting question, and it's it's difficult to like a lot of my audience is American. And um, and it can be really interesting 
listening to the stories of people who've been part of the American evangelical movement. There's some similarities between the Australian Pentecostal movement and that that I find, like I love being Australian. Australia is a beautiful country. Australia has its issues, though, like everybody else, and I think one of those issues is that we don't talk about shit and we don't like to look at it. Um, We have our own, it's almost like a refusal to look at the things that are wrong, and it's almost like we're so ashamed of our past, we can't even name it and we can't even go through it. So our treatment of First Nations people, Indigenous people, Um, black and brown people in this country is horrendous and nobody wants to talk about it. Our refugee policy is horrendous and nobody wants to talk about it. And the problem is when I call myself a Christian here in Australia, you're exactly right. People think that because Australians in Australia, the ones that are very vocal about their political beliefs tend to be homophobic, um, tend to be you know, close the borders down, don't let anybody in. They tend to be anti-welfare. They tend to be uh, unrecognising of the destruction that the church and the colonisation of this country wrought upon its Indigenous, our Indigenous people. And so I do find it difficult to call myself a Christian. It's a very complicated thing and nobody will talk about it. I can't tell you, Jonathan, how many emails I get, DMs I get, conversations I have in private with people here in this country, I'm getting passionate. Calm down. You do not need to people. come. <laughs> I give you permission. People, <laughs> thank you. Oh, Lord. It's like people, because what I love about what's happening in America, one of the things I love about what's happening in America and Canada and other countries is that the conversation seems to be a lot freer. Here, like, I feel like a lot, and I'm not the only person doing this work, but it's very hard work because. For some reason, to speak out against these things is taboo. In Australia, nobody wants to be a troublemaker. Nobody wants to disappoint people. Nobody wants to point out something that's shameful that will mean that we will need to change. And so to do this work here in this country, like I won't lie, it's been a bit lonely, <laughs> um, but it only makes me want to do the work more because privately I call myself a Christian. I believe in God. I I love the person of Jesus. I love the theology of the Christ. I, you know, like you, have found great comfort in going back and reading through the scriptures with a different lens and find great life in it. But to call myself Christian publicly is, you know, someone asked me the other day in my DMs, do you still call yourself a Christian? And I'm like, how do I answer that? Because if I say yes to some people, they're going to think that I am all of these things that I am not, all of these things that I'm very passionately not. So. Honestly, I just try and do the work and show up as I am and let that do the speaking bit for me outside of the times when I say this is who I am and this is what I am not. Um, God, I don't know if I've answered your question very well, but it is very interesting being an Aussie and doing this work. I think I was saying the amount of people that email me and DM me and say, I can't be in my church anymore. I have this problem. Why isn't anybody speaking about this? And then I kid you not, the next weekend, I'll see them post on Instagram or Facebook a a photo of 
a pastor or a message or something they're like oh this is awesome the church is great and strong and amazing and I'm so glad to be a part of it and I'm like it's like there's one thing happening underneath the surface of things here and we're projecting a lot of people are projecting and adhering to something else entirely different to that Mm. and um it's not authentic which is a very it's, it's a very harsh thing to say but I do find that a lot of people that I speak to they're claiming something publicly that they don't believe privately according to the the conversations that I've had with them and even um if I can say this at the end some of the conversations I have with people about what I've been through uh, my dad was a pastor and we found out he was living a double life so my parents were fired from their positions as pastors overnight my husband and I were told that we would never work in, a, in another church ever again in Australia. Nobody would hire us because of what my dad did, the treatment of my family in that situation by the church, and then what we experienced working in a mega church for celebrity pastors. Um, when I tell people, you know, I'm going to speak about what I've experienced and I'm going to speak about where I think I've landed, they, they advise me not to. They're like, you can't. You can't do that. You can't upset the boat. You can't rock the boat. You can't come out and say these things. So there's definitely a really interesting undercurrent of that happening here that I don't really know how to explain, <laughs> but I just keep on showing up and doing the work. <laughs> Honestly, Liz, that, that is, a, oh, I think you've been listening to my journals. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, because, I, because, I, because I, I still have my fingers in so many different worlds and have people that I love and care about in all these different mm. spaces, it just results in a just a disastrous series of theological debates on my Facebook week after week after mm-hmm. week, and um, among other things, that's 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 the that's the cynical way to sum it up. But oh no, I um, get it. <laughs> but but I got to this point. I feel like it was October, November last year. Oh, you know what? Time is meaningless now. So maybe it was the year before. I know. But, Maybe the last little while where I just felt this urgency from the spirit, just do the work, Jonathan, do the work. You don't need to convince anyone that you're right. You no longer need the theological approval of leader X. Just go. People are drowning. People are thirsty. People are hungry. Like you said earlier about the collateral damage, right? Like, Jesus' policy is exactly zero. Mm -hmm. And I think it reaches a critical mass for those of us, right, who are empathic. I know you said that earlier when we were emailing that you're an Enneagram four, right? And so Mm -hmm. so for you, do you lean more to the the three wing or the five? Do you know? The five. Five. The five wing. So I am like as true or four as there can be. Yeah. So you know you're you you you're seeing this in this stuff, and you're like, I want people to be safe. I want people. I want people to be safe. To not be hurting. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. uh, I feel you know all, all that stuff. But um, do the work. So okay, I want to hear more about the work for you. Uh, I've, I've got one of your I've got one of your meditations here that I'd like to read out if that's okay. Yeah, please do. This is from just the other day. Joy is holy. Wonder is holy. 
Pleasure is holy. Happiness is holy. Whimsy is holy. Don't be duped into thinking that only the somber and straight-faced things are sacred. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I was taught, and I imagine that you were growing up too, that the complete opposite. This is the house of the Lord. Yeah. Be quiet and serious. Take your hat off. Wear your good clothes. You know, kids kids had to behave themselves. And like I was a very, I'm an Enneagram 4, we've just discussed that. So I was a very creative, um, whimsical kid. I believed in magic. I, be- I believed in all of these different things um, because the world was a big, wide, wonderful, magical happy beautiful place and it was the church that came up to me and said no (laughs) no be serious take yourself seriously I remember being sat down by my youth pastor when I was 17 and I used to love Celtic (laughs) here we go here's a random fact I'm a super nerd I love Celtic fantasy historical fiction (laughs) Um, I have a Scottish background uh, on my mother's side of the family and I'm just all about that stuff all day long. And, I, you know, I used to want to write it. I had Celtic poems and prayers and all the stuff all over my walls. And a youth pastor sat me down and they said, you're going to have to throw away those childish things and you're going to have to get serious about the word of God and the call of God on your life. The Bible says throw away childish things and grow up. You know, what's that verse about um, becoming mature in the faith and all of that? And those verses were really weaponized against my sense of whimsy. And But even um, the idea of happiness being holy, there's a lot of focus on joy. And joy, the idea of joy is even when things are terrible, you can have the joy of the Lord. But happiness, people are like, you know, not used to thinking that happiness can be a sacred thing but I think gosh when you find happiness you revel in that stuff you cover yourself in it as if you are having a spiritual experience because you are and it's these things that you know help you grow that help you connect to God I'm rambling a little bit but I just feel like God if God is in all and through all and by things by God all things exist then that means that all the things it's everything you can't select things out and so as much as you can find God in the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice you can find God in the pure silly and the happy and the wonderful and random stuff as well and I just like to remind people of that (laughs) yes come on I love that do you you remember this is this is silly but but my wife and I have been journeying a lot with the pleasure topic for the last couple of years. And that's been really big for mm-hmm. her because that was not a realm that she had ever had any grid for just in her own upbringing oh, and her look on I the can world. Imagine. A very high sa- she's an eight and, and very high like safety and control because of a bunch of things in her upbringing. And then you marry that yeah. into purity culture and oh. all the other things that we all grew up with, right? And so for the last couple of years, one of her, like on her board, she's very structured and has has plans and goals. And it's like, learn to value pleasure. Yeah. And so that's been explored in lots of different fun ways. Uh, but <laughs> I was just, I was 
Do you remember Zoolander where yeah. um, Will <laughs> Farrell? Will Farrell's character has gone on this rant about the piano key necktie. And he's like, the piano key necktie, I invented it. And I don't know. You do that very well. <laughs> I do not know what prompted this, but I was I was literally cutting a hole in drywall, trying to find a leak in our bathroom. And I felt the voice of the spirit say, the orgasm. I invented it. That's so good. You need to make that like a little reel that you can like <laughs> put out into the world. That is the thing. That's the thing. We forget. We, <laughs> my God, I can, I totally know what, well, I don't totally know because I don't know your wife, but I can completely imagine why she would put that on a board, a list of values, because I had to do the same thing. You know, as a woman growing up in faith, everything was our fault. Every failure of man was our fault. Every It was our responsibility to enable men to keep their thoughts pure. And I just, you know, everything is about laying down your life for your freaking family, for the church, for your children, even having joy in my kids, even saying to my kids, not mummy's on, mummy's having a break, you can go chat to daddy. Like that's taken me a lot because as a woman growing up in the faith, God, you exist to for everybody and to everything else except for yourself. Mm. So to reclaim those places of pleasure in every aspect um, is revolutionary and necessary, <laughs> completely 100% necessary because, yes, God did invent sex. God did invent the orgasm. It's a sacred and spiritual experience, and yet we deny the holiness of it all the time. Absolutely. And I just, you know, wonder what would happen if we reclaimed those places and embodied those places for ourselves. Seriously. In a free and whole way. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about uh, the ways that people are connecting with your work. I know you've got obviously like your Instagram, but I think you've got an app mm-hmm. and a bunch of things like yep. talk to me about the community and, and what, what it's like. Well, we have an app um, in both the Google play store and iOS store, and it's a daily devotional. So we started this while we were still in church. <laughs> so the work has evolved as we have evolved, but it started as a daily devotional and it became um a huge value of us of ours as the work evolved to keep it a daily devotional. I have issues with the word devotion, but there's just nothing else that we can really call it to describe what it is because every day it's a touch point. It's something to help. And a lot of it has been what has helped me. So when I'm writing it, I'm not writing it as a guru, as a spiritual leader above and beyond other people. I'm right in there with everybody doing the work myself and I figure if I can share this and take allow other people to use it to help their own journeys then that's a beautiful holy thing so it's a touch point every day to help people come back home to their bodies find their own sense of God in their world no matter what is going on whether it's huge small painful wonderful completely mediocre like 95 percent of it is um, and have that touch point so the app is our big focus uh, and that's where um, I put most of my 
time and energy into creating content for the app. Then we have our Instagram page, which has bits and pieces from the app on it uh, for people who may not be able to afford a subscription um, to the app. And I love hanging out on the comments and DMs on Facebook, on Facebook, on Instagram anyway. But they're the two main places that we inhabit at the moment. And then we have um, three volumes of our devotions we've put into like a visual book. It's quite a large sort of book that's designed as a visual journey as well as a devotional journey. And we tend to put those out at the end of every year as well for people who like a tactile thing to to sit with and draw in. Like a, like a coffee table size book? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to get some of the books then. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, we will send you some. We will send you oh, some. Awesome. <laughs> Too easy. We will take a quick pause to thank all of my patrons. Shout out to LJ, who is my newest monthly supporter, and shout out to Severin and Lindy, who have both given one-time gifts in the last week. Friends, your support and encouragement mean the world to me. Thank you to everybody who supports the show, who supports my work, who comments on my stuff, who reads my book, orders copies for friends. I heard the other day of somebody who'd bought 10 copies of my book to give to all of their children, and that is just super cool. So, uh, friends, if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to chip in, head to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Or if you'd like to give a one-time gift, I've just made that a bunch easier than it was before. You can go to jonathanpuddle.com slash support. And there's an easy uh, form there to give a one-time donation if monthly or annual giving just isn't your thing. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll get back to the show. You, you wrote this. I saw this again on your Instagram just this week. There is good in you. It is good to be you. It is good that you are here. You are an expression of divine goodness. Yeah. That's, that's so good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how, much, how much of the time do you believe that? Well, don't ask that. Um, <laughs> well, there's a reason why I keep writing that. That's a huge theme in my work at the moment. Um, and to be honest, I think the idea that you are ever going to reach a point in your life where you're not going to have to remind yourself of these things every day, um, is a little far-fetched because you can heal from pain and trauma, but you can't heal yourself from human experience. You're always going to experience what it's like to be human and (laughs) things are going to happen (laughs) along in your life. (laughs) You can heal from trauma, but you can't escape the human experience. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so there are things that get that are going to happen. I find in my life, I get to a point, I was having a conversation with my friend who's a psychotherapist the other day, and I'm like, I said, Nicole, it's like I get to this point where I feel like I'm, I'm in and I'm on and it's good, and then something happens and it all goes to shit. <laughs> She's like, welcome to the human experience. And so... Having those prayers and mantras, um, whatever label that you want to put on them, they're a great touchstone for me and for everybody to come back to. And I figure if I have to keep coming back to this, then I can imagine other people have to keep coming back to this. Every time you feel like you are not good, every time you feel like there is no good in you. I mean, I was brought up believing the only thing good about me was Jesus and the only good thing I can do is because of Jesus. And so I took that to mean, I mean, I grew up in this stuff and you did 
to as a child. So it's actually abusive when you drill down into it. But at five, six, seven, eight, nine, I'm being told and I believe in my childlike awareness that there is nothing good in me. And that was drilled into me day in, day out. The only thing, you know, all glory to God, whenever something good came from me, it was like, you know, it's not me, it's Jesus. And so even reclaiming that, so hang on a sec, that was me. (laughs) I do do good work. And it's not either or, it's together and. It is God, it is me, it is us together, it is integrated, not separated. Um, but the goodness the goodness thing is is a big deal for me. It's something that I, I have to keep coming back to willingly and um, authentically. I am good. It is good to be here. It is good to be me. I am an expression of divine goodness. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. So, and I think if people can let go of that idea of, you know, you're going to get to a place where you're, uh, I don't know, a Zen Jesus teaching master on the mountaintop, <laughs> right. never having to do this work, you need to change your goals. I think a good goal is to be someone who can show up in grace and courage to whatever is going on in your life at any given moment. And um, that's where I'm at. That's so good. I I remember after I'd written my book of devotions and published Mm. it and we're in the midst of COVID. I think, I think it was before it had come out. I'd finished editing it and it was on the way, but I hadn't released it yet. And I just, I was shocked to discover how busted up I had gotten by COVID. And I was like, oh, right. You have to keep going. Of course. You got to keep doing the work. (laughs) COVID was another thing for us all. Hey, like it redefined so many and is still redefining so many things that we just thought were rules of how the world works. And um, reorienting, having to reorient ourselves you know, with new values and new practices and new ways of doing things. It's going to be a constant thing in our lives. Sorry, that was my phone going off. Turn that on silent. Um, yeah, it's a big it's a big thing. You're never going to arrive. Sorry, people. Doesn't happen. <laughs> and that's the glory of it. That's so good. Yeah. I am I was talking to my therapist a couple of weeks ago. I was in session. And, yeah. and we, we're, we just started in January. So there's still lots of discovery that we're doing and, you know, lots of exploratory stuff. And I said to him, Oh, Nick, you know, I, I should, um, I don't think I've had a chance to mention, but I really, I really do struggle with quite a savior complex. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of my Enneagram too. I, I really just so oh, wow. much yeah. is bound up and in, in my meaning coming from helping and saving helping people. people. And, yeah. And, and he's like, okay. And then, so he, he, he's already knows me fairly well. And, and he says, yeah, I then, you know, I, I do understand that that can be debilitating and, and that we can, um, that we can sometimes rob people of doing their own work because we're, we're so um, into the, with bad boundaries into their space. I think that's what you're referring to. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. All, all the bad stuff. And he's like, yes, yes. But you know, to be, to, to save people, it's a pretty good thing, isn't it? 
you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, to me, if you're if you're saving people, that's a very Christ-like mm. sort of activity, wouldn't you say, Jonathan? Wow. And I couldn't, I couldn't get there. I was like, oh, you, there's a button there that <laughs> that is. Oof. That's good. There's yeah. something good about yeah. Oh, me. <laughs> yeah. But it was another whole layer of the onion that was like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. And I am not comfortable accepting my goodness and accepting That's the thing. God mm-hmm. designed me and blessed me to be a blessing, to mm-hmm. be a savior. Not. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not climbing up here on the cross and. <laughs> no, but that's how it works, isn't it? Well, that is. That's it. We are. Like we help each other. That's how the that's how the world works. Because one day, you know, I'll save you, and then the next day you'll save someone else, and then the day after that, someone else will save me, and then from all the different things that we go through, like helpers and I mean I'm I struggle with this so much as well so like I only started putting my name to my work a couple of years ago and um because I was so freaked out (laughs) about you know who am I to even claim to know any of this stuff or to be able to offer any of this stuff I feel you know imposter syndrome is a big thing that I struggle with and um I completely relate to that completely completely relate to that and even now you know people dm me and stuff and i'm just like ah i don't know what to say thanks because it's really difficult to take on board that you do do good work that contributes that helps that does save in any and every sense of the word that it does yeah you're completely right i'm gonna that's really i'm gonna write that down after this jonathan what your therapist said to you because it's really good yes Yes, there is so much in there's so much in us, right? That's vulnerable, right? Like like we're a really mm. vulnerable species. You know, mm. we take a long time to develop as babies and all this kind of stuff. We're extremely vulnerable to pain and suffering. And very quickly we build up, well, it must be my fault. And 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 we start off mm. with this egocentric thing. I was talking to a friend. We do a B, I'll do a B-side with somebody on this interview. They'll listen to it. And then that's up for my for my patrons. And oh, that's just, so cool. We have so much fun with that, honestly. And we just did a B-side for an interview that went up around spiritual practices as 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 like contemplative prayer practices as a pathway to wholeness and, and health and as a discipleship resource. And my mm-hmm. guest on the B-side said, you know, I'm I'm leaning into a space where it looks like original sin is maybe just the egocentric developmental stage of being really little yes (laughs) part of part of growing up and we do have to learn ways of being less egocentric but that doesn't mean our ego is is evil or wretched or to be killed it's just uh you know, we start off vulnerable and woundable and and terrified of death, and we're gonna we're gonna hold on to that fear of death for most of our life. But through all these things, disentangling ourselves from the distorted beliefs about ourselves and about God, yeah, formulate in us, and which unfortunately the church has done really little to save us from. 
well, in I would even take it one step forward and say that a lot of church spaces, this is a very general statement, and I'm not talking about every church space, but unfortunately, I think a lot of church spaces perpetuate toxic beliefs and practices about the self. So not only are they not working to untangle and provide freedom and wholeness for people, I think a lot of churches actually perpetuate that toxic and abusive environment that only further drives those behaviours and beliefs deeper into the subconscious and the body, um, which I think is devastating and horrendous. (laughs) If someone is listening to this and and just this last little bit right here is triggering something in them, especially if they are involved in church, uh, what would you say to that person? It's a really difficult thing. I still have friends that serve on the church that I left. And I have friends who see who've left the church but um, have very different views <laughs> to me and to what I experienced. And part of it I've learned for myself um, is that I have to let it be. And so for people who this is triggering to hear um, and it's not their experience and they find it very difficult, that's okay. I'm not against people having a different experience to what I've had in the church. And I think that's part of what we find difficult to cope with as humans. We're very much brought up to be an either or. So either you're for us or you're against us. Either we all believe the same thing or we're stuffed. Like, But I think to hold the tension of both things being true can be a really difficult place, but it is the place of connection. So if someone's hearing this and it's triggering for them, I would say I get it 100%. I get it. And you're allowed to have those feelings. You're allowed to feel that way. And my challenge to you would be to let both things be true. Let your good experience of church be true and let my bad experience of church be true. It's like anything. Like, you know, I can say, I had a bad upbringing, but there were beautiful things about my upbringing too. I can say I had a bad church experience, but there were beautiful things about my church experience too. Nothing is an either or. And I think to let both things be true is the place of connection. I would also say, though, the church is very good at needing things to be a certain way. And I feel the great challenge for a lot of faith communities moving forward, especially during and post-COVID, is to listen, to open up their hearts and listen to the experiences of others and to what others are trying to say. I think the Me Too movement um, has been really powerful in that space and the church will do really well to learn from it, that when someone speaks up about abuse and pain, and trauma that they've experienced, listen. Like that's the first step is to listen, even if it's triggering for you, even if it's hard to hear, because those things are hard to speak about too. So to really challenge yourself and open your heart and listen, let both things be true and take your time with it. We don't need to have everything sorted out today. We don't need anybody to land anywhere in particular today. We can take our time with it and allow healing to come, allow the truth to rise, allow 
space to be created in both hearts, both sides of the conversation to allow for each other. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's a great, great response. Very, very kind. If someone, if someone is listening to this and they are saying, this is, this is what I'm going through. I didn't know I, why my body was getting sick. I didn't know why I what this icky, icky feeling has been for the last six months. I, I need to go and get free. What would you say to that person? Almost the same thing. <laughs> Take your time. You're not alone. It's okay. You don't have to have everything figured out today. Follow your curiosity. Your body tells the truth. You know the truth already. It's in you and it's your good and holy work to find it. But the big thing I think for me, what I experienced and growing up in the church, I was very afraid of being in no man's land. Like I really liked to know and I really liked to have things sorted out, you know, and I'm still that way. I write my lists. I like to have my safety net and my guarantees. And I think if you can relax and allow yourself some ambiguity, that will serve you. Because, you know, my husband tells a story. Sorry, Jesse, I'm going to speak on your behalf. He tells a story of how when he first began deconstructing and was figuring out when it was time for him to leave his staffing role at the church because he had quite a big role, um, he walked the beach every day. We live around the corner from the beach here in Australia and He would walk that beach every day thinking, asking, praying. And one day he heard spirit say to him, don't you think I'm big enough for your question? Don't you think I'm big enough for your unbelief? Like if I am meant to be this big entity that is above all and is, you know, too complex to be understood, don't you think I can hold your unbelief and your doubt? Don't you think I can handle that? And that was the permission that he needed to do what he needed to do. And I would say that to to people who are having that, it can be so disorienting and you can feel like you're about to lose everything and you might lose some things. And it probably will be quite painful. Um, So give yourself some grace. Allow yourself some ambiguity. One of my favourite quotes is Joseph Campbell. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And I encourage everybody to enter that cave of deconstructing, of following your curiosity, of being in the dark for a while. Because soon enough, your eyes will adjust and you will find what it is you're looking for, only to find that it opens the door to a whole heap of other beautiful questions that you will live your life enjoying discovering if that makes any sense at all. So so beautiful. Liz, would you pray for us? <laughs> I will. <laughs> My prayers are a little bit different. I believe prayer is a space of connection um, between you and God and you in yourself. And a lot of my prayer is filled with silence and allowing things to be as they are. So, you know, I might go through a few little prompts and it, might not sound like a prayer but this is a prayer for me so I would just say I would like to invite you into this moment of calm and peace 
take a few deep breaths, close your eyes and just settle into yourself and find that point of love that you call God, that is God, that is in you. And just like a child would bring to their parent an artwork or something they've written or something they've created, why don't you just take your heart and unveil it to that love that is within you right now and let it do its speaking for you. And God knows love is with you and grace is for you through whatever it is that you're going through. And the great thing is, is that you can come back to this point at any time during the day. I use my breath as a way to bring me back to moments of prayer, moments of connection with the divine. And whatever works for you, you can do that too, to bring you back to that place of oneness, that place where love seems to prevail above every other thing that you're feeling. And I just pray that grace and peace would be with you as you move throughout your day. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love when people pray in a way that's not just your typical Western cerebral kind of words offered to God. Maybe when we tune in emotionally and with our bodies and offer something up, you know, is the spiritual realm solely a realm of words? No, of course not. We know this. And yet we're so conditioned to pray just with this one means in our in our Western Eurocentric mindsets. So love that, Liz. Thank you for helping lead the way and share your journey with us. Friends, head over to thepracticeco.com and you'll find all of Liz and her husband Jesse's work there. You'll find links to the app. You can also just find The Practice Co. in your uh, app store. And of course, on Instagram at The Practice Co. and at lizzie.milani. Those are all linked in the show notes. Go and order some of their books and sign up for the app and become a part of their community. They're a wonderful group doing amazing things. Also, you'll find in the show notes the transcript for this. If you're looking for the text, it's all there. And you'll find links to support me and buy my books and follow along with everything else that I'm doing. Thank you so much for listening. May you find grace and peace surrounding you. May hope and joy be your portion. And may these difficult days be behind us. Much love. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.